0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Um, you can be turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. I, I really appreciate Pastor Tim updating us on Amy Basto Cox and the wonderful great work that's going on there in, in West Africa, and that incredibly difficult place to, to do mission work. And uh, praise the Lord for the fruit that they're seeing there. And I, and I, I love praying for her and all our missionaries. Um, and you know, as I think about, also Pastor Tim reminded us that just as as we're seeing some fruit of of hard labors in, on the mission field, uh, you know, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that just because we have a relative ease in coming to church and worshiping unhindered, we, we can do it freely, comfortably. Um, there are so many of our brothers and sisters across the globe who don't have this wonderful privilege. They they're being oppressed because of their faith, they're being persecuted. And and so it's very difficult for them to do what you and I almost take for granted. And and just to own a copy of the Bible. And how many of us probably have extra copies of the Bible at home and you know, just laying around and, and, and some some parts of the world people risk their lives. To, to hold a copy of the Word of God, so we take so much for granted in this in this world and, and in this Western part of the world, where we have so many wonderful freedoms. You know, one of the one of the uh, the, the needs that we have had on our prayer list has been um, a young American Iranian pastor. His name is uh, Saeed Abedini, and he is um, currently in prison in Iran. And I've shared his plight with you before. Uh, he was there uh, two and a half years ago. He was arrested and, and, and placed in prison. And, and their judicial system is, is starkly different than ours. Uh, just being a Christian automatically condemns you. And in some situations will condemn you to death. But he's been placed in one of the maximum security, one of the harshest criminal environments that a prisoner could be in there in iran his life has been threatened he's been beaten regularly he's been withheld from medical treatment there's death threats out on him i think they're there they've even got isis members as inmates who who know he's there they have contracts on his life so you can just imagine this this christian pastor who isn't an american citizen in that nightmarish atmosphere I, i think about him but i think about his young wife His sweet wife, Nagma, and their two small children, a little boy and a little girl. And they're here in the States. And how they are so anxiously waiting for, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Abedini's release. They're they're praying. They're encouraging people, Christians, to pray. Uh, I know Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse has gotten behind this. I understand two weeks ago that uh, Nagbeth, or the pastor's wife, was able to meet briefly with President Obama because he just happened to be going through the town where she was, and she had been appealing to to get his audience, and and I pray that maybe the conversation that she had will move the president to get behind this to, to seek his release. But, but you know, we keep his name in the bulletin in the worship guide, not to suggest that he is more in need of prayer than other Christians in prisons. He he is a type. He is a, a representative of countless thousands who are imprisoned, some on death row, because of their faith in Jesus Christ or being persecuted. And, and this is going on uh, around the world. I, I get the... Um, International Mission Board. Southern Baptist Convention International Mission Board prayer gram. And by the way, this is free. They'll send it to you. And each day of the month is a, a different missionary that you can be praying for. And I make it a practice to pray for our missionaries on a regular basis. And and I couldn't help but notice uh, on one day this month they're asking us to pray for pastors on the islands off of the coast of uh, Lake Victoria in East Africa. And this is very close to where our missions teams were in Kusumu. Uh, but there's some islands that these pastors are on. They're asking us to pray because the pastors there on these these uh, Bavuma Islands uh, have been beaten. Their property has been destroyed and stolen. There's been threats against their life. Their uh, national believers are being intimidated. Uh, missionaries are being targeted by the, the practice uh, practitioners of witchcraft. They're just asking us to pray for these people who are trying to promote the gospel in these areas. And then over in Europe, they ask us to pray for the Ukrainian Christians because they too, many of the pastors, many of the students are in seminaries, many of the uh, Christians have been killed, uh, they're imprisoned, or they, they've had their belongings taken away, they've lost their homes, their jobs, their churches. Uh, and, and so, you know, horrible things are happening to Christian people all over the world and, and it's our responsibility to continue to, to hold these people up in prayer. Because you can imagine the, the discouragement that they deal with on any given day facing the circumstances that they do. But as we pray for them, we need to pray for each other and we need to pray for ourselves. Because, brothers and sisters, the fact is no Christian is exempt from the dark valleys of discouragement. But God's Word offers a wonderful, unfailing message of hope. And I hope you'll see that message of hope in the text that we'll be looking at today as we continue to examine the narrative describing the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And, and so I take you back to chapter 18, and we'll be beginning there. And, and I just want you to think in terms of how it is that in our, who amongst us have not been discouraged. Or maybe you're, you're plowing through a valley of discouragement right now. Or you know someone that's very close to your heart, that's dear to you, that's going through a time of discouragement. God's got a word to say to us on that. He's got examples for us to learn from, from the Word of God. And the Apostle Paul is one of those as we begin to look at chapter 18 there. And the first thing I want us to see, first of all, is just acknowledge our menacing moments of discouragement because they do occur. They will happen. If you're not there now, you will be at some point. And and so learn from Paul's experience. Now, let me just quickly give a review of the Apostle Paul's victories. You know, all, It's not all lemon and sour for the Apostle Paul because it's only his first missionary journey and now into his second missionary journey that's brought him over into Europe. We know that Paul has seen great spiritual victories. He's seen multitudes of of, of pagan believers, some former Jewish believers, or you know, uh, people coming to to the faith in Jesus Christ. He's seen churches being planted all across Asia Minor and into Europe, and so these are wonderful, exhilarating things that have happened in in Paul's life. But you know, and I know that spiritual victories often mean that, that, that soon on the horizon, there will be occasions for discouragement. And that will happen. Sometimes you and I will be going along and our walk with the Lord is so close, things will be clicking in church and everybody's feeling good, but then boom, just like a storm out of the, uh, nowhere, something will occur or, and uh, circumstances will change and before you know it, you know, we're in the, the pit of d- discouragement. And, and so things are happening and, and I want you to understand that just because the apostle Paul was experiencing these wonderful moments of spiritual victories, all along the way, there were those very troublesome and painful experiences that I have cumulative entitled Paul's Trail of Tears. So, yes, there were the joys, but there were the tears along the way. And they have a cumulative effect on us sooner or later. Now... First, in chapter 18, verse 1. Remember, Paul just finished ministering in, the, in the, Greek, uh, the Greek city of Athens. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 18 of Acts, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Now, let me just stop there for a minute because I want you to get caught up with how Paul is thinking, how he's feeling. One of the, the scholars that I was consulting in the commentaries that was just uh, focusing on this passage was reminding us that, you know, Paul uh, had suffered a lot and this was beginning to take a, a toll on him. In fact, Paul, while there in Corinth, had written back to um um, the 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 Christians at Thessalonica, and I want to just share with you a little bit of how he described himself to the Thessalonicans, the uh, Thessalonians, rather, in First Thessalonians chapter three. You don't need to turn there, but just listen as Paul is just kind of recounting. He says, "Therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and distress." We, we are comforted, uh, concerning you by your faith. In other words, Paul is saying, it's so good that I've gotten a good word from you all through Timothy and Silas because I have been really dis- discouraged here. Uh, I'm in distress and affliction. He describes that. But also, we know that the Apostle Paul, we, we find this in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. Paul is writing uh, back to the church at Corinth, and this is retrospect, but just gives you a glimpse of what he's saying back to the Corinthians in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. He, he says to them, now he's writing this from Ephesus, but writing back to the church at Corinth, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the, the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. I believe there's a, a cumulative effect all of this. Now, just stop and think about it. Along with the spiritual victories along the way, in Paul's first missionary journey through Asia Minor, and now into Europe in his second missionary journey, remember this? Almost consistently, everywhere Paul goes, there's going to be a mob. Usually incited by jealous Jews who don't like Paul's gospel message and they're threatened by it. So what do they do? They incite a whole mob of people to run Paul out of town or do some kind of damage to him and his fellow travelers. So everywhere he goes, here are these mobs that he's having to deal with and and usually resulting in him having to flee from, from, from town. But then also he has to deal with the constant threat of heresies dangerous false teachers who are popping up right behind him everywhere and, and, and dismantling the, the, the truth that he's taught. So he's constantly having to deal with the, the threat that these false teachers are opposing to the new churches that he's starting and the new converts. And if that's not bad enough, you know, there have been times where Paul has had to deal, actually, with death threats, including the time at at, at, at Philippi where he was uh, arrested and and beaten unmercifully, thrown into prison, and and sat there. You know, or the time at Lystra where he was he uh, uh, again a mob was incited and and they they beat him, they they stoned him. Con, uh, considering him to be dead, dragged him out of town and left him to, you know, his body out there on the outskirts of town. I mean, stop and think about how all of this would over a period of time begin to affect you emotionally. And, and, and so just because we think of Paul as a giant of the faith, it doesn't mean that he was immune to, to times of discouragement and episodes of discouragement. And I believe that he came to town, to Corinth, in the spirit of dis- discouragement if we go back to chapter 17 you don't need to turn back there but I'll remind you there in Athens here was Paul Preaching and he preached a glorious gospel message to these pagans who were caught up in idolatry and, and immorality. And Paul explained to them the true God and, and 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 God's love for sinners and their need for repentance and and how God had verified His Savior, His Messiah, Jesus Christ, by and affirmed Him by raising Him bodily from the grave, resurrection. And, and at that point, you might recall the majority of those intellectuals and those philosophers. No offense. Pastor Tim, I know he majored in philosophy, but you know, these philosopher, philosophers can go off a deep end sometimes. But, but, but these, these philosophers were laughing at him. This ludicrous. The idea of anybody being raised from the dead bodily, and they practically laughed him off the podium. So, I mean, all of this, come on, Paul is human. he would be the first to say that. And he is subject to Discouragement. And here he is, if if his past pitfalls and perils were not enough, consider his present challenging predicament here. He comes to the city of Corinth, located some 53 miles due west of Athens. Corinth has replaced the city of Athens as being the commercial and political center uh, of the the Roman Empire and the Greek world. Oh, listen, this was a nasty town. My old, I, I love—I call him my old buddy, but Dr. J. Vernon McGee, he, he's passed and gone on to heaven, but I loved his style. He just had a, a dry sense of humor. And, and in his commentary, he was talking about Corinth, and he compared Corinth with modern-day Hollywood in Las Vegas. He says the liquor flowed and the women were wild and there was good times for everybody. He says any imaginable sin, it was there in Corinth, and it was a wicked city. It was a, a very sinful, godless, immoral city. It was, in fact, uh, one of the most prominent structures on the on the horizon of the landscape in Corinth. Was a, a massive temple complex that had been constructed for one of the pagan goddesses, Aphrodite, Aphrodite or Venus, who was the god of love. Now, by the way, she didn't have anything to do with Valentine's Day, so don't go off on that tangent. But, but in this massive temple dedicated to Aphrodite, there were uh, some some estimate as many as a thousand temple prostitutes. Who would routinely every evening uh descend upon the city and, and, and offer their services to the to the community as an act of worship, if you will, enticing people into sexual, every kind of sordid, twisted, sexual immorality. And this was the, the state of the religious community, if you will. And this was, this was the town that Paul, having been whipped, beaten, stoned, run out of prison, uh, town, thrown into prison, uh, you know, laughed out of town, and he walks into Corinth. I can only imagine the state of his mind. It's any wonder that God would bring forth so much great work and theology an example for us through such a man. But I, I, I thank God for Paul because he reminds me that just as he was human, just as God used him, he experienced times of of great discouragement. Faithful servants of the Lord today deal with discouragement just like faithful servants of the Lord all through the Bible. You take the greats I mean, you just take the superstars out of the the Bible. Moses. I mean, God's man, a man's man to lead a nearly two million Jewish slaves through the wilderness out of Egypt and 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 into the, to the promised land. And yet, Moses had great times of discouragement. One one snapshot. If I could just take you back, you don't need to go back in your Bibles unless you just want to, or just make a note and you go back and read it in Numbers Numbers eleven. You remember how the children of Israel, there must have been some Baptists amongst them because they did a lot of complaining. And they, they were complaining, you know, because they were out in the wilderness and there wasn't enough to eat, right? That guarantees they were Baptists. And, and so they were just complaining, we don't have enough to eat. And so, so God graciously, graciously provided manna, bread from heaven. Every, I mean enough to feed everybody every day. Listen, they ate manna all through the wilderness trek. That was 40 years. God provided groceries for them for 40 years. But lo and behold, it wasn't long in Numbers 11, the children of Israel began to complain. Oh, they complained. This manna. Huh. Everywhere. Have you ever gone to the pantry, to the refrigerator? I know teenagers probably can identify this. You know, and you say, Mom, why don't you buy something good, you know? You know, it's nothing in here to eat. And the shelves are full. The refrigerator is dark. But, you know, and they're saying, oh, this man, oh, we're so tired of it. And they were crying. The men, the women, the children, they were all standing at the doors of their tents. And they were wailing and crying and saying, oh, if we could just have some meat. Oh, and, 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 you know, here's Moses, you know, trying to lead him through the, the Israel, uh, through the wilderness. And it says in verse 10 of chapter 11 of Numbers, now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at his tent, the door of the tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, now you'll hear his discouragement coming out. Why have you afflicted your servant, talking of himself, and, and why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to your fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If, if you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. (laughs) Moses is pretty discouraged. I don't know how many preachers go home or, you know, back to their studies and say, just kill me now. No, I don't think we get that discouraged, but you know, no nobody is immune to discouragement. Take Joshua, that great mighty man of God, after that stunning defeat by the little town of Ai, there they were at the very early part of the campaign taking over the promised land. I mean this little squirrely town of Ai whips up on the Israelites. And Joshua was all discouraged. He said, oh God, why, why didn't you just leave us up on the other side of the Jordan River? Why did your father bring that?" Oh, listen, discouragement hits even the best of them. Elijah, all it took was a queen by the name of Jezebel. I mean, he just whipped and killed 450 prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel on top of his game. And, and then one wicked pagan queen says, I'm going to get you, boy. And he took off like a scared dog. Discouraged. I mean, sometimes all, that's all it takes. Oh, listen, it goes on and on. Job was discouraged when he lost everything and, and was in sickness. And Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, looking at the loom and uh, punishment and judgment of God upon the nation of Israel, he was, he was in despair. He was, he was discouraged. King Hezekiah, great man of God, but yet again when his health fell, he began to get discouraged and he cried out to God. Even, even a man after God's own heart David, he say, no, no, Pastor, not David. Listen to these words of David in Psalm 6, verse 6. David says, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye waters away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. David was discouraged. So what makes us think, that we need to go through life thinking that somehow we got it all together. That we are in control. We got our game together. Listen, discouragement itself is not a sin. How we deal with the discouragement certainly displays a lot about our faith. Christians today face discouraging circumstances. And I'll tell you this the more faithful you are and the more committed you are to the Word of God and committed to following Christ Brace yourself, because discouraging circumstances will come. But don't let your discouragement lead you to despair. You don't have to pull off a chicken little syndrome and go wringing your hands and running around and saying, The sky's falling, the sky's falling. No, even in your times of discouragement, I want you to hang in here because God's not idly sitting by. I love the Apostle Paul. Because he's a wonderful example of what a Christian ought to be. And I'm sure he was loved by the early churches that he planted and nurtured and grew. And all of his fellow Christians, uh, he was deeply loved. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I say this resolutely, confidently. Nobody loved him like God. Nobody loved Paul like the Lord Jesus Christ. Why, he loved him so much that he knocked him off of that horse on the way to Damascus and blinded him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you you persecuting me? He loved him enough that he wouldn't let him die and go to hell. He he loved him enough that instead of allowing him to continue on a trek where he was persecuting the church and an enemy of the gospel message, he made him a a messenger of the church and a messenger of the gospel. And by that, one of the greatest... Oh, listen, the Lord wasn't turning a deaf ear or blind eye to the Apostle Paul. I like to think about one of the Old Testament names of God. And there are many that share His attributes. Elohim, the God of creation. He's superior above every person to think El Elyon, the most high God has authority of all of heaven and earth. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides what we need when we need it. But, but one of the my favorite names of God is El Roy-I, R-O-I, Elohim Roy-I. It was actually given by a, a, an Egyptian slave by the name of Hagar. Does that name sound familiar? Remember Abraham and Sarah? And Remember they couldn't have children? And Sarah had this wise idea. Well, since I can't bear a child, I'll just have my slaves sleep with Abraham. And, and sure enough, she did. And sure enough, she got pregnant. And then, and then what did Sarah do? I mean, not to say that all women are fickle. But as soon as she found out that Hagar was pregnant, she got mad at her and beat her up and ran her out of the village. And so here's poor Hagar. With child, an Egyptian slave, which makes her a nobody in that society at that point. And now she's been expelled from a, her, her, her family, her, her madam, if you will. She's a nobody out in no, in no man's land, in a desert, pregnant. And she's ready she's to cash in her chips and say, what, what hope is there for me? You're talking about discouragement. And God came to her. Do you all hear me? Not a shepherd. Not some missionary. God came to her. And He said, Hey God, I see you. You're not forgotten. You're going to have a boy. That boy's going to be a great leader. and He's going to have a whole nation. Listen, and I'm going to take care of you. <laughs> you know what? Inspired by the Spirit of God, she called upon the name of El Roy I, and you know what that literally means: You are the God who sees. Have you ever been so deep in a pit of a, a valley of discouragement that sometimes it seems like everybody else just looks over you? There you are, lonely and hurting and struggling, and and and, and it just seems like nobody knows, nobody sees you. It's like you're invisible. I promise you, dear friend, I promise you, God sees you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're feeling. He knows the circumstances that have brought you to this point of discouragement. Listen, take great comfort in knowing that God does see you, and He's ready to comfort you. And He does it in a couple of ways, and I want you to see this in the text. So now we're ready to move on beyond. Verse one. You say, Man, what an introduction! We'll be here till three o'clock. Take heart. We'll move. It. We'll we'll adjust the pace. Because I want you to see as we look back at the account of Paul. There he is in Corinth, and look. And God begins immediately. Verse two. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, which is Asia Minor, who recently had come to from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. There was a stir in Rome, so historians tell us, between the the Jews were upset with a man named Christus, but evidently the historian got it wrong. It It was actually the Christian message. They were talking about Christus, the Messiah. The Christians were already there. There was a church in Rome. And so because of that, Claudius, he just didn't have anything to do with all this uprising between the Jews and the Christians. He called them all Jews, ran them all out of town. And so where did, where, did, where did Aquila and his wife Priscilla just happen to end up? Right there in Corinth. And I want you to see a friendship developed immediately with the Apostle Paul. It says there that they uh, had recently come from Italy with his wife uh, Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. You see, Paul, we, we we surmised because he came from a region of Rome where they made tents. They did it with goat hair and that kind of thing. But Paul was a pretty handy with his hands, and there were times you'll find throughout his epistles he'll talk about even in the Book of Acts he'll talk about using his skills because at that time the churches didn't have much money, couldn't support him, but you know so he worked. He worked so he wouldn't be a burden. So he wrote back to the Corinthians. He says, you know, I worked. I worked so that you wouldn't have to support me. And Paul did what came natural to him. He was a tent maker. But God placed Aquila and Priscilla there to be encouragers to Paul. They were so encouraging. They became. They they had such a tight relationship that even later in Romans chapter 16, verse 3, Paul describes Aquila and Priscilla as the couple who stuck their necks out for him. They loved Paul. They encouraged him at a time that he needed encouragement. Gave him a place to stay. Gave him a a, a forum by which he could make a living. So there were Aquila and Priscilla. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It says in verse four, and he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So he's, he's preaching, he's doing his thing. Verse five, here's another wave of, of encouragement coming from God to Paul. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, you see, Paul had sent Paul, Paul had sent Silas and Timothy, his traveling companions, back to Macedonia to check on the churches that he had planted there at Thessalonica and Philippi. And, and so now they're coming back. They're coming back with good news. They're coming back to say, Paul, the churches are still going. They're thriving. Things are going well. In fact, Paul, we brought, them, we brought an offering. They wouldn't have it any other way, Paul, even though they're, they're as broke as Job's turkey. They were going to take up an offering, and they did. They took up this offering for us to bring to you so that it would help support you. And and, and, and that was important because, you see, now Paul didn't have to make tents. Instead of just preaching on Saturdays, the Sabbath. He could spend time in the marketplace now preaching every day of the week because he had the support. So he had his two friends, his companions, his fellow brothers in the Lord, Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia and says, Paul was constrained by the Spirit and, te- and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So this emboldened him now. In verse 6, but when they opposed him and blasphemed him, he shook his garment and said to them, your blood be upon you, uh, on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. What Paul did there in shaking off his garments was similar to what Jesus had told his disciples. You remember earlier we went through uh, the Gospel of Matthew and Jesus had told his disciples, when you go into a town or city and you share the good news of the Gospel, you preach the message of the Gospel, and the people don't receive you, he says, go to the city limits, take your sandals off, quack quack, shake the dust off as if to say, listen... We are clean of any responsibility. We absorb ourselves of the responsibility of your salvation because we tried to preach and you rejected us. Well, here Paul is doing something very similar to that to the Jews. By now, Paul's probably getting fed up with the Jews because they're continually creating trouble for him. They're rejecting him. So Paul doesn't just take his shoes off. He takes his outer garment off. And whoof, whoof. You know, one of my household assignments at the house in helping Jan is to shake the rugs out. So I get outside because I like to get outside. And I go to the flapping them rugs. And you know what? That's good therapy, too. Because sometimes when I'm frustrated, you know, maybe she and I had a little bit of a tiff or whatever. I know it's very rare. But anyway, sometimes you get things, you know, and you just go, whack! So if you come to our house and you wonder why the rugs are frayed, it's because I maybe was doing a lot of therapy that day. But anyway, what's that got to do with any? Okay, but Paul, Paul stood there before the Jews with his outer garment. And he whoof, whoof, with his outer garment, shaking all the dust. Anything that would have touched them as if to say, I absolve myself of responsibility for your eternal destination. Your blood is on your heads. You may recall that when Jesus was on trial there at the courtyard of Pilate, and Pilate, he knew, he knew Jesus was innocent. And he says, he washed his hands. He said, I wash my hands of this matter, of this innocent man. Do you remember the reply of the Jewish leaders, the Jewish throng that was gathered around that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Do you remember what they said? They said, oh, that's okay. His blood be on our heads and on our children's heads. We'll take responsibility. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But anyway, Paul Paul says, it's it's, it's your responsibility. And he says, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. And you'll see where Paul begins to dedicate more of his time to the Gentiles. And he departed from there, in verse 7, and entered the house of a certain man named Justice. One who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. I'm sure that really rubbed the Jews wrong too. Here, Paul says, okay, I'll just set up shop somewhere else. I won't preach in the synagogue. Oh, I'll just go next door. (laughs) So while they're going in the synagogue on Sabbath, Paul's got a big banner and loudspeaker out there. You know, come hear the gospel, the real truth, you know. (laughs) Oh, me, Then Christmas, the ruler of the synagogue. He must have had a big loudspeaker. Because it says that Crispus, the, the leader of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. That was a bombshell for the Jewish leaders too. My goodness, it's bad enough that he's in here converting to everyday Jews, but he's got the he's got the leader, the ruler of the synagogue, converted now. Now, when the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision, He says, "Do not be afraid." But speak and, and, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Do you see that? Jesus says, I've got many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months. One of the longest stays that Paul has ever done in a town. Most of the places he goes, it's a few months if he gets that. 18 months. But, but let me take you back. You see how God placed Priscilla and Aquila in Paul's life to give him encouragement at a time that he really needed not to mention to to help him do you see how God just the timing of God brought Silas and Timothy back into Paul's life at a time that he really needed their presence and their encouragement what am I trying to tell you sometimes our encouragement will come through other Christians Christian family members Christian friends Christian co-workers or acquaintances. Let me ask you, have you ever had times where you've received a visit or a card or a call or an email or a text just unexpectedly from someone just saying, listen, I don't know why, but God's put you on my heart. And I just want to tell you, I know you've been struggling. I know things have been tough. Hang in there. I've been praying for you. God knows that you're doing a good work. God knows your heart. You keep on. I know you've been under the, the gun. You're under attack. But God loves you. Have you ever had somebody do that? I have. I have. Some of you have. Done that for me. And I thank you for that. And I know others have done it. you probably had people do it for you. What a wonderful thing. Just out of the blue, somebody wants to let you know, they know that you're there and they care and they're praying for you. How, how lifting, uplifting that can be. Now let me challenge you. Let me challenge you. I'm challenging myself, so I'm not saying it just to you. I'm pointing back. Make it a point at least once a week. Make it a point at least once a week to let God single out somebody in your life. It could be a fellow church member. It could be a member of your family. It could be somebody at work or maybe a neighbor. Just somebody that maybe you sense they're struggling, especially if they're a believer. Call them. Send them a text. Anybody ever send cards anymore? I sent one out yesterday. I don't even know if the mail still takes cards. Everybody does emails and texts nowadays. But, but you know, sometimes I like to get a, something you hold in your hand. pretty picture. and You know, something to look at. Some inspiring text. But, but be an encourager to someone that God wants you to, to encourage in some way. So, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, Silas and Timothy, but the best of all, the best of all is the Lord stepped in Himself. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had encountered Paul in vision. It wouldn't be the last time. But the main thing is Jesus came to him. And that's what we see there. If your Bible has a red print, that's where Jesus is speaking. And Jesus came to him in this vision. And, and Jesus had a message for the Apostle Paul. And that message basically was... Don't be afraid. Speak boldly. I am with you and I'm going to see you through. Now, understand, this was before the canonization of the Scriptures. Paul didn't have the privilege of having the New Testament that you and I have in our hands. So it wasn't unusual that the Lord would choose to speak through visions to His faithful servants as an example of what He's going to do now. Now, now you have everything that God wants to say to you, authoritatively, doctrinally. You've got it right here in the Word of God. I'm not going to come and preach to you based on some vision I had Saturday night. Because it could be those tacos I had or something like that. Or watch the scary movie, watch a sci-fi. So, so I'm not going to get up here in this pulpit, nor am I going to encounter you in your daily life and say, Oh, I had a vision. And, and, you know, and, and and there's a certain kind of fruit that we need to start eating that'll make us more... No, 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 no. Everything. Don't you listen to anybody who starts talking like, Well, God said to me the other night... At a... No, no. God will speak to you. He wants to speak to you. And He will speak to you. Right from the pages of His divinely inspired Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instructions in righteousness. Everything we need. Listen, God is screaming. The problem is, too many Christians are God deaf. Let me just ask you, particularly for those of you that maybe are sitting there thinking skeptically, yeah, I don't hear from God. I never hear from God. Well, let me just ask you, okay? When's the last time you sat down in a very deliberate and focused way and read and meditated and prayed over the Word of God? Chances are you haven't. Because God's got something to say to you, I promise you. And He's got words of encouragement. He's got words of instruction and direction. Oh, listen, He's got something to say about everything. And if you don't understand everything you read here, and maybe some of it's puzzling, then you go find Pastor Tim or Pastor Chad. They're the smart ones. I'm not the sharp knife in the drawer. If you can't find them, I'll try. No, I'm just kidding. But but listen, we'd love to help you to understand what God is saying to you. So God encouraged Paul directly. And he still does that. He is encouraging you and me today through his word. Finally, we need to move on. Verse 12. Now, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Now, this is bad news, folks, because you know what happened with Jesus. They, a bunch of, a mob of, of Jewish leaders snatched him up and brought him before the governor, Pontius Pilate. So, here's this government, Roman government, government figure. Who has authority in the land, and the Jews are going to try to pull off a quick one. The Jewish leaders, but I want you to see in this episode that our faithful Lord, who is who is good to encourage us, is also faithful to see us through, no matter what the opposition may bring our way. So here they are; they bring him before, bring Paul to the judgment seat, and there the proconsul had a palace, and out in front the courtyard of the palace where the proconsul lived, there was a giant marble platform raised high. And they would bring the court. That's where the court would take place. The proconsul would sit on that. And then they'd bring the accused and have the accusers and all that. And the public could watch. So that's the scenario. Here's Paul. He's on trial, if you will. And so then, verse 13, they're saying, this fellow, they don't even give him a name. This, this, this tramp preacher, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. I thought it was interesting because in verse 14 it says, when Paul was about to open his mouth, now one thing Paul wasn't was bashful. One thing Paul wasn't was short of words. He's he's like a loaded gun. So, So I'm sure... The minute they, he, he knew they were going to come up with some kind of a lie, he was ready to give his own defense. But do you, I want you to notice, again, the Lord is in control. He's providentially controlling things. Before Paul could even say, but, the proconsul immediately steps in with his authority. Before Paul could even open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, uh, oh Jews, there would be reason why I should hear you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, in other words, an internal matter, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And look at verse 16. And he drove them. I mean, all of them, Paul, everybody, through the whole bunch. He says he drove them from the judgment seat. Just run them out. I read that and I thought, my goodness, where was this man when Jesus was on trial? Legally, that's exactly what Pontius Pilate should have done. When they dragged Jesus before him and all these trumped up, you know, uh, false charges, if he were a man of character, a man of conviction, Pilate would have done the same thing. He would have ran the high priest and all the Jews and threw them out. But you see, he caved in. That happens, folks, with our leaders today. Men and women up there in Washington or in Raleigh, that have pledged to represent us and to stand on moral convictions and whatever, but then they get caught up in, and before you know it, they're selling us out left and right. But but not this guy. You know why? You know why? Now, this is just my interpretation here. Just those of you that draw cartoons. Just imagine a gigantic six-shooter at the back of his head, and Jesus is holding the trigger, saying, Speak. Don't let them get away with this. This is my man. Now, I don't know if Jesus said that, but the fact is, the proconsul cleared the house. He, he stopped an injustice. And the Lord made good on His promise to Paul. What did He say? I, Paul, listen. Hang in there. Be bold. Speak. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you. Nobody's going to harm you. Not in this city. Why? Because, Paul, I've got a lot of people here. They're my people. Not yet. But they are. And one day you'll be writing letters back to him, called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and maybe another letter. But he said, they are my people and don't you go anywhere. And Paul didn't. He stayed there, like I said, for 18 months. Not only did, did the Lord deliver Paul from, from, the, from the Jewish plot, but listen, he more importantly, he prevented a dangerous precedent from developing. Had Gallio been influenced to side with the Jews. As a Roman official, he would have been passing down a judgment that would have been a precedent for every other Roman city. The Jews would have just had to refer back to it and say, no preaching the Gospel. Gallio has come down with a judgment. It's like the Supreme Court. When the Supreme Court makes a decision, you can't, you can't undo it. And they've made some terrible decisions related to abortion and, and, and marriage and things. But listen... So, not only did God protect Paul, but the Lord headed off a dangerous precedent that kept the door open for Paul and other missionaries of the gospel to go throughout the Roman Empire preaching the gospel freely. That wouldn't, not without Not without trouble, but they could still preach it. So so you see, the Lord made good on His promise. Because God is faithful to see us through our times of discouragement. And folks, here's how I want to wrap it up. I just want to remind you that the Lord faithfully responds to our trust in Him. This is what it boils down to. Paul trusted the Lord. It's evident. You just go back and read through his whole life. Look at the book of Acts. Paul trusted the Lord. The Lord said it. Paul banked on it. Why don't we? The Lord responds to our trust in Him. You know that verse, the verses in Proverbs, it's our team kid, Mattu. I expect all the team kids to stand up and quote it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Trust. Trust in the Lord. And when we do, God gives us peace when we call upon Him. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, Don't be anxious for anything, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that goes beyond understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But you see, if we trust the Lord, then we'll call upon Him. And, and, and in doing so, God will give us the peace that we so desperately need when we're going through times of hardship. One of my favorite verses that talks about trusting in the Lord is in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 3. He says, and I got this written and I keep it on a card next to my bedstand. And I have trouble sleeping because I may be discouraged or under pressure or whatever, and I'm tossing and turning, you know, and tempted to swallow a bottle of sleeping pills. I don't do that. But I'm just saying, I'm just having trouble sleeping because I'm discouraged. I picked that verse up. And this is what he says. He says, you, talking of God, will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Not only will God give you peace in your times, in your valley of discouragement, but dear friends, He will give you the strength that you need. Many of us walk through the valleys of discouragement. Some of you are there right now, possibly. But if you trust the Lord, He will give you the strength to get through that. How many times have you recalled that wonderful verse over in Isaiah again? Chapter 40, verse 31. Verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But it comes back to trust. So, in your time of discouragement, just like with Paul, I just want to remind you God sees you. He knows. He knows. He sees you. He cares for you. He loves you. And He will, He will comfort you. He will encourage you. And He will see you through. No matter what. Just like Cecilia Martin wrote in that little hymn that you and I sing. God, He will take care of you. He took care of Paul all the way. Paul's life wasn't a picnic by no stretch of the imagination. But the fact is, he didn't allow Paul to leave this world not one second. Not one second before the Lord said, I'm finished with you, good, faithful servant. I've seen you all the way through. And dear friend, I stand here with every bit of confidence I have in my soul to tell you, you stay faithful to God. You stay close to Him in His Word. You stay open to Him in prayer. And you lay claim to the promises that God has given you in His Word. And you keep your eyes on the Lord. And don't let discouragement distract you or derail you. You keep moving forward because the Lord, He is faithful. Amen? Amen!